Good morning, church. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us online again. Uh, this morning, I want to start with an old Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. This conversation takes place between Calvin and Hobbes. In the first frame, Calvin speaks to Hobbes and he says, live for the moment. That's my motto. In the second frame, he explains, you never know how long you've got. You could step into the road tomorrow and wham, you get hit by a cement truck. Then you'd be sorry you put off your pleasures. And then in the next frame, he says, that's why I say live for the moment. Then he asks Hobbes, what's your motto? And in the last frame, Hobbes replies, my motto is look down the road. Well, today, as we continue our series entitled Hope is Greater Than Fear, we're going to see that genuine hope invites us to look down the road to God's promises. You know, some people are by nature very optimistic. It's their natural temperament. Others, on the other hand, are pessimistic by nature. But I believe you often get out of life what you expect. Now, one man sees a rose bush and all he can focus in on are the thorns, when another person focuses in only on the roses. One man sees the dark side of every cloud and another man sees only the silver lining. But genuine hope can never be based on our subject, subjective outlook, our particular temperament. The person whose hope has no real basis other than a genuine optimistic spirit is clutching a hope that is deaf, dumb, and blind. I would go as far as to say that the only hope, um, the only valid hope is the Christian hope. I mention this all because it highlights the fact that Christianity is a religion of hope. It's a faith that looks down the road to the future, to the time when God's promises will be fulfilled. That was true for God's people back in the Old Testament days as they look forward to the birth of this promised Messiah. And it's true for us today as we look forward to the return of Christ. Our faith is a future-focused faith, a religion of what is to come, a religion of hope. You can't turn the television on today and not hear the phrase, these are certainly difficult, strange, and unprecedented times that we're living in. It's true, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime, where we can't be in physical contact with anyone during a crisis that's affecting everyone around the world. Now, these times are hard and they may be disappointing. They are definitely life-altering and even life-threatening for so many people. And without question, these are very uncertain times. Um, they are uncertain times in which we're living and many of us feel that our nation, our world is standing on the brink, but of what? We have no idea, right? We know that this is a, a strange time and something's about to happen, but we just don't know what. Researchers tell us that all this stress created by our sense of uncertainty is not only unsettling, but it's unhealthy. Some years ago, uh, Dutch researchers conducted an experiment in which they told one group of people that they would receive 20 intense shocks um, on every trial. They would do 20 different trials and each one would have this intense shock. And they told a second group of people that they would receive only 17 very mild shocks um, and three intense shocks but they wouldn't know which of the 20 trials would be the mild shocks and the intense shocks. The researchers discovered that the second group who thought there were a smaller chance of receiving these intense shocks were actually more afraid. They only had three 
intense shocks, but they, they sweated more profusely, their hearts beat faster than the first group who had 20 intense shocks. It was that uncertainty of not knowing when the intense shock was gonna happen that caused their discomfort, not the intensity of the shock them itself. So researchers explain that's because people feel worse when something bad might occur than when something bad will occur. It's the unknown, right? Commenting on the study, Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert concluded, an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. That's as true today as it was over a decade ago when that study took place. It was just as true over 3,000 years ago when Moses told his people, the Israelites, that he was dying that he would not go on into the promised land with them. He was worn out from 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, and Moses admitted to the Israelites what I'm sure many of them were already expecting. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 31. We're gonna look at verses one through eight, and that will be our passage today that we're gonna um, study. And this is what it says. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy those nations before you, and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you, as the Lord said, and the Lord will do to them what he did to Shion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, whom he destroyed along with their land. The Lord will deliver them to you, and you must do to them all that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to the, their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 2, Moses says, I am 120 years old today. I am no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. Now, I can just imagine this collective gasp that went through the crowd that day when Moses told them after 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, him leading them, that he was not going to go into the promised land with them. Such news couldn't have come at a more inopportune time. Here they were standing on the brink of this land that God had promised their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But before they could cross over into that promised land, um, they had this wild river that they were gonna have to cross. They had walled cities that they were gonna have to storm. They had waiting armies to battle and this wide array of unknown to face. Talk about uncertain times. An uncertain future threatened to leave them stranded in a very unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. Now Moses didn't want them to wait. 
to muddle about in the mire and the unknown for the unforeseeable future. He didn't want that for them. He wanted them to look down the road. He wanted them to look to the promises of God. So he summoned the people and he charged his successor Joshua with these words in verses 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their forefathers to give to them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or be dismayed. You know, part of what makes uncertainty so stressful and potentially debilitating is it pushes, like Samson, against these twin pillars of life and faith, these pillars of trust for today and hope for tomorrow. When those pillars begin to shake, fear begins to overwhelm our hearts. It clouds our judgment and it weakens our resolve. And the reality is hope is, is not automatic for us. In fact, sometimes hope can be very difficult. So how do we sustain hope in the midst of disappointment and difficulty? How do we keep from being completely overwhelmed and taken over by these trials and the, the pain that we encounter in our life? How do we maintain an attitude of hope when everything seems to crush us like a, a bug on a windshield? You know, what do we do? How do we hold on to that hope during those times when the circumstances seem hopeless? Well, first, we need to put our trust in God. Trust in God for help. That may seem pretty obvious, but all too often we are willing to seek help from anyone and everyone or anything before we turn to God, right? If the problem is financial, we don't look to God first. We look to a banker or a relative or a credit card. If the problem is relational or a conflict with a spouse or a family member comes up, We'll buy books on marriage, we'll scour articles in magazines, we'll listen to Oprah and Dr. Phil, and then finally, maybe, maybe we'll turn to God for help. We'll try everything that we can think of, and then if nothing else works, we'll think of praying. But that's backwards. We should go to God first and not last. We can hope in the midst of life circumstances because the one that we hope in is greater than the sum of all of life circumstances. If our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, as the old hymn says, then we have a great hope. Instead of allowing uncertainty to freeze us in place, we should act upon what Moses reminded Joshua of. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. You know, in these uncertain days that we're living in, we can find hope. We can find strength and joy if we put our trust in God. Secondly, we can find hope during these uncertain times if we remember that he goes before us. Moses said, it is the Lord that goes before you. It was God who went before his people when they came out of Egypt. Yes, Moses was the man on the ground. Uh, he was the point man, but he was only following God in the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God was the one who went before him. It was God who was the first man in, not Moses. 
The book of Hebrews refers to Jesus as the pioneer or the trailblazer of our faith. He entered into heaven's holy of holies first so that we might follow after. You know, when you're feeling uncertain, trust in the precedence of our God. Trust in him. He precedes us so that he might prepare the way before us. Wherever he guides, he will provide. We need to trust in him. We need to rest in the promise that God will go before us. There are two words used in the New Testament that are translated as hope in the English language. And one has to do with trust, usually in a person. But the one that's most often used in the New Testament has to do with expectation or anticipation. This is the sort of hope that I'm talking about today. This hope that expects and anticipates. It's not a yearning for something uncertain, but a confident anticipation and expectation of something that will indeed happen. This is a confident anticipation. We confidently anticipate and expect that God has gone before us and that there will be better days ahead. So we keep looking down the road. In these uncertain days that we're living in, we can find hope if we trust God and we remember that he goes before us. But we can also find hope in the fact that even though he goes before us, he also will never leave us. That's amazing to me. He goes before us and he is with us and never will he leave us. Um, I like the story. There's a, in a, you can find it in a joke in, in you know clean Christian joke books and it's all over the internet. But it, it's a cute little story um, about a boy named Timmy. And Timmy had just started kindergarten, just started school. And his mother did not like the idea of him walking to school alone. But Timmy didn't want her to walk with him. Of course, she wanted to give him the feeling that he had some independence, but she also wanted to know that her son was safe. So she had this brilliant idea of how to handle it. She had noticed that her neighbor, who had a toddler, uh, would take walks every morning. And so she decided that she was going to ask her neighbor if she would please follow her son to school in the morning. So it was only a couple blocks, but she wanted to make sure that he would get there safely. And she said, just follow him at a distance, a safe distance, so he won't notice you. Well, the neighbor agreed since she was up early anyway and went on walks with her toddler to get exercise in the morning. So the next school day, the neighbor and her little girl set out following behind Timmy as he walked to school with another little neighborhood girl that he knew. She did this for the whole week. And as the two children walked along and chatted and kicked stones and twigs along the way, Timmy's little friend noticed this same lady was following them as she had every day of that week. And a little concerned, she said to Timmy, have you noticed that lady following us to school all week long? Do you know her? Timmy nonchalantly replied, yeah, I know who she is. And the little girl said, well, who is she? Well, that's just Shirley Goodnest, Timmy replied, and her daughter Marcy. The little girl said, Shirley Goodnest, who is she and why is she following us? Well, Timmy explained, every night my mom makes me say the 23rd Psalm. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So I guess I'll just have to get used to it. It's a cute little story, I think, and one that reminds us that God will never leave us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. He is with us. It's incredible that with billions of people in the world, God loves each one of us. 
and he promises that he will always be with us and he will never leave us. Life can be uncertain at times, but God is with us 24-7. So when you're feeling uncertain, you can trust in the Lord. You can remember that he goes before you. He makes the crooked path straight and he will never leave you or forsake you. And finally, you can remember not to be afraid. Don't be dismayed. We understand what it's like to fear, but what does it mean to be dismayed? Well, the Hebrew word is kathath, and it means to break down. It means to break down as a result of fear, to become discouraged. So what happens when your car breaks down? What happens if your car goes kathath, or as we like to call it today, kaput? Well, if your car goes kaput or kathath, you're immobilized, you're stuck, you can't move, you can't go anywhere. And that's what it's like when we're dismayed. You feel frozen in place, you can't advance, you can't go forward. Please don't misunderstand me. Fear and trepidation are not all bad. Fear is a God-given alarm to alert us to potential harm. Fear is a powerful and much needed alarm, but it makes for a terrible control. On the wall of your home or in the ceiling of your home, you are likely to have a smoke detector and a thermostat. One is an alarm and the other is a control. That smoke detector can't control smoke. It can only alert you to the presence of smoke. The thermostat, on the other hand, can't only detect the temperature of the room. It can also control the temperature by turning your heater or your air conditioner off or on. Pay attention to your fear, just like you do the whale of a smoke detector, but don't let your fears become your thermostat. How do you do that? Well, the way to keep your fears from controlling you is to keep them in proper perspective. That's different from ignoring an alarm or simply dismissing it. I'm not telling you to ignore the alarm. I am telling you that you need to not let the alarm control you. Thankfully, every time the smoke detector in our house has gone off, it's either because somebody has left the, the burner cover, the little burner, metal burner cover on the, on the burner and turned on the burner and it starts smoking or because the last time John baked in the oven, something spilled over and the next time we turn the oven on, it starts to smoke. Um, but fortunately, thank goodness, our smoke detector, our smoke alarm has never gone off because our house was actually on fire. But that is no excuse for us to ignore the alarm. That's not to say that house fires aren't real or that our house couldn't catch on fire. Therefore, it would be foolish of me to ignore the smoke detector or dismiss it the next time that it went off by assuming there's no fire. There very well could be a fire. The wise thing for me to do would be to check it out, to put that alarm in its proper perspective. Don't you hate it when you're concerned about something, when your alarms are all going off and you tell someone, listen, I, I, my, my alarm is going off concerning this person or this situation. And they say, I wouldn't worry about it. Just forget about it. I hate that because it tells me that they're not really listening to me. They don't value my alarm system, right? They're not taking my concerns seriously. They're treating me as if I were a silly child afraid of the dark. 
Well, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't try to convince us our fears are unfounded or that um, what we perceive as dangerous really isn't dangerous after all. Instead, the Bible helps us address our fears by putting them in the proper perspective. Moses didn't tell his people that the opposition that they faced in Canaan posed no threat. He didn't say, you're silly to even worry about those people. Don't even think about it. Um, he never did that. That would have been foolish of him to do that. Instead, he put that opposition in its proper perspective by reminding them that their covenant-making God, their covenant-keeping God went before them and that he would be with them and he would never leave them. Jesus does the exact same thing for us in Luke 12, 4 through 7. There he tells us not to fear when men who can kill the body but are powerless to harm us beyond that. Instead, he says, fear God who can destroy both body and soul and hell. You know, some fears are greater than others. Um, viruses are fearsome. Lockdowns are fearsome. Uh, economic uh, depressions are fearsome. But God is to be feared above all. He is greater than all. Daniel Gil Gilbert said, an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. So what did Moses say? Well, it was Moses who said, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. You know, I choose to believe Moses. How about you? We can't make it through life without hope. We have to have it. We can live 40 days without food. We can live up to eight days without water. We can live four minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. Hope is our greatest asset in life. Where is your hope today? Is it wrapped up in the expectation of better days ahead? Is it in the promises of God? Is it in the truth that God precedes us? Is it in the fact that he goes before us and is always with us? Is it in the promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us? Or is it lost in the darkness that surrounds you in your life? What is your motto for life? Do you live for the moment or do you look down the road to Jesus, our living hope? If Jesus is your living hope, then you can be assured that whatever your circumstances, God is with you. He'll be with you in the beginning. He will be with you in the end and every point in between. To live with Christ is to live with hope. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you because when we are weak, you are strong. When we are weak, it's then that you carry us. Lord, it's sometimes hard to live at peace in this world. This side of heaven, strength and courage seem to be in short supply for the righteous people of God. Fill us, Lord, with your presence, with your purpose, and a yearning for your will to be done in our lives. Thank you for loving us and leading us. Thank you for reminding us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Fill our hearts with hope today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. Love one another. Be good.